0: Just in. Hello and welcome to The 250, your weekly podcast looking at INTB's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren.
1: I'm Andrew. And I'm Tony.
0: And this week we're talking about a new entry on The 250,
1: and excitingly enough, the
0: highest ranked new entry that we have yet talked about on this podcast. It is the movie event that is 19 movies and 10 years in the making. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is Marvel Studios' Avengers: Infinity War, which came in at number 11, climbed to number nine, and is currently residing at number 10 on the IMDb's list of the top 250 movies of all time. That what? is. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew didn't know this coming into the podcast. <laughs> oh.
2: That's cra- that's crazy. Number th- in the
0: top 10. In the top 10, currently in the top 10, it displaced the, it displaced the good, the bad and the ugly. Right. Okay. I guess I guess that sort of gets to what was going to be my first question then. Like so how do we all feel about Infinity Wars in a general sense? So myself I've seen it three times I saw it at the press screening I saw it at the weekend, just so that my opinions unsettle, And I saw it tonight with Andrew. So I've seen it three times. Tony, I think you've seen it a number of times as well.
1: I've only seen it once, actually. I was planning to go today, but uh, I, I had a job interview instead. So I thought I'd do that first. That's, a bit, that's slightly more important. Um,
0: Priorities, just a little bit. Well, that
1: was a very poor choice, though. I, I know, I know. It will be even worse if I don't get the job, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I... Uh... I'm, I'm, was
0: it the 10th best job of all time, Tony? That's what you need to ask yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's it's unseated uh, Clint Eastwood's job. So, you know, it's, it's all <laughs> symmetry, you know. Um, it, but So, yeah, I'm going tomorrow. Hopefully, I'm going tomorrow.
0: But uh, so you, you saw it, though, I think, the last weekend when it opened, which I imagine was a hell of a way to see it. I saw it on the opening weekend as well because I wanted to take it in with a crowd because it's very much a big crowd-pleasing blockbuster. And it was very different watching it with the press screening where you're surrounded by sort of like, you know, you don't want to say the stereotype Anton Ego sort of like cynical critics. But you, it's a different audience than sitting down with people who are very excited and who are going to see a Marvel movie and are really into it. And I think when I watched it at the weekend with that crowd, it was a very different experience. But what about yourself? How did you watch it? What was it like?
1: I watched it in IMAX 3D uh, because I have... To... Not the 4D. Uh, no, no, not the 4DX, actually. I, I... You didn't get ahead. Um... But I, th- I think the, the crying baby uh, in Guardians, which I was last on this show for, <laughs> put me off somehow. <laughs> so yeah, IMAX 3D uh, and pretty pretty pa- It's Friday night, so it was you know peak time. Pretty packed screening, although not as packed I'd imagine as the 2D because you know it's the uplift in money. But it, it was a, it was a good crowd, and everyone really enjoyed themselves in there, and uh, as did I. I I, re- I really liked it. I. I went in with you know pretty high expectations because you know I'm I'm a pretty big Marvel fan at this point. I think they've been on a real hot streak since Guardians 2. I don't think they've made a bad film. See, well that's not a bad film. A, a, a less, you know, a less good. Yeah. Um so you know especially the last two, you know Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther were really great. So uh you know I went I did go in with pretty high expectations. Yeah, I I I think they were met. You know, I mean, th- this this could have been an absolutely Titanic mess. You know, had it been made by <laughs> Zack Snyder, I've got to, I've got to say it, it would have been. <laughs> but it, it it's it came out, it came off, which is the biggest um, amazement, really, because.
0: Um,
2: yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm kind of half agreeing with you. <laughs> I think for for what it, for what it, they decided to make it. It's a very good kind of like it's, it's, it's a very difficult movie to, uh, to put together because they do this like mess uh, of an ensemble piece, but it's, it's so it's a real kind of a challenge. The, 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 the fact that they've kind of pulled it off to an extent. I guess is to their credit but i i still i still think why <laughs> why why, um,
0: why do this thing yeah um,
2: why, uh, but and, and i suppose i can kind of understand the the whole logic of it but i don't like um i like i really liked thor ragnarok and yeah. i like the sort of um,
0: uniqueness of it almost
2: yeah but also the the, the, the messiness e- e- efficiency in a way, like oh. they, as, as in, just more sort of um, um, simplicity, okay. I suppose.
0: Interesting, because I, I would, I, I'm gonna preface this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not a, I'm, I am not I do not think I'm as big a fan of this as Tony was, but I, I'm kind of on Tony's side when it comes to just admiring. The sheer logistical composition of a film on this scale. I would love to like the real heroes of Infinity War for me are not the Rousseau brothers or you know the writers you know McFeely and and, and you know whatever it's it's the first AD it's the guy organizing this chaos arranging and scheduling I and structuring. I thought
2: it was the Avengers who were the heroes personally. <laughs> <laughs> Todd <laughs> but, the first AD that, standing that is, in Wakanda. That is an interesting. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, point of view.
0: But it it is the sheer logistical organizational ability to do something like this, because this is something the sheer scale of infinity war is mind-boggling i don't mean in terms of like the budget that's put on screen i don't mean even in terms of like the volume of cast the sheer level of spectacle i mean the amount of organization and balls in the air in terms of of like storytelling and in terms of managing your ensemble and in terms of making sure that everything lines up perfectly to get you where you need to go there's and like
2: it's it's very much an allegory for the characters of the movie oh yeah like trying try, trying to um figure out everything it's it's kind of at the at the last minute where you were you were you were you were you were you were, you were meant to have the um you you prepared your eurovision song like that that uh, father ted episode and then you have to come up with something in the very end with no with with with, with no song but this actually kind of came off um if if that makes any sense I have a terrible migraine by the way
0: uh, which is completely unrelated to watching the movie I should say myself well, I...
2: <laughs> I wouldn't say it's completely unrelated but um i it, it has shaped the the way I kind of view the movie I perceive the I kind of like hated that the movie was still going on and wanted to leave and i don't think it was to do with the quality of the movie in fairness
0: yeah no i was i was sitting beside andrew and there was literally a moment where it seemed to change there was a moment where andrew was very much on board with the film and there was a moment where the film seemed to become agony for him um and it it is i mean it's it is a long film it is a punishing film it is a film that is the very definition of more is more and i think that like without getting too spoiled without getting too specific like One of the thing that I love about and the thing that I hate about it are very much the same thing, which is that I think. I would disagree with Andrew when he says that Thor Ragnarok is a more efficient film. I think Thor Ragnarok is a messier film, a more ambitious film in some ways, a kind of a looser film, a more improvised film, a kind of a film where people didn't know necessarily what they were doing until they were doing it. Whereas watching Infinity War, there was never a moment where I doubted that anybody knew exactly what they were doing. Or...
2: Messy isn't the, the right word, I, I, I admit. I, I think it's more busy.
0: Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah. But there's, like, an efficiency to it which is at once awe-inspiring in that putting a film like this together must have been a logistical nightmare. Like, the Rousseau brothers and the writers have talked about having, like, boards and having red twine and having index cards to keep track of where various characters are at certain points in the narrative, and you can imagine that. And that's incredible, but it's also soulless for me. Like, watching it, it was like... I always felt the hand of the writer in the film as I was watching. I always felt like everything that was happening was not being driven by the decisions being made by any of the characters including, and I mean we'll probably talk about in the spoilers—excluding including who is nominally the protagonist of the film. It always felt like what was happening was driven by what needed to happen in order to keep the chaos under control. If that makes sense. Does that make sense to people? Yeah,
2: and, and I, I there, there was a kind of a, a necessity to it that was that was that, that that like I understand why this movie was made and obviously. <laughs> It did very, very well, Um, and is now. um... It grossed
0: more than Justice League grossed in its entire run in its first three days. Oh my goodness! It's crossed six hundred million dollars. I think earlier this week. Justice League. Yeah, in its entire run, Justice League ran for like three months and didn't make as much as this did in three days. In Ireland, I I don't know about the UK box office figures, Tony, but in Ireland, eighty-two percent of tickets sold last weekend were sold for Infinity Wars.
1: I imagine it's much the same here, really. I I, I would imagine it's. I think it's up to something like eight hundred million now.
0: While we were recording this podcast,
2: (laughs) (laughs) this is what happens when I avoid the news.
0: (laughs) There literally was no news. It it does, and I mean, I, I, and like. Tony's right, Tony. When Tony, when you saw it on the Friday night, you talked about like the crowd being into it, and I think there's something to be said for that. It's it's a very it's a spectacle film, and there's lots of oohs and ahs and beats and rhythms. It plays its target audience like a symphony, I think, or at least that's what I got when I was watching it. What did how did you experience it, Tony?
1: I, I think I think that's it. I think you know there was um there's been a few debates around this week about you know who the film's for exactly. You know, is it for Newcomers? Is it for diehard fans? Is you know, and and there have been two different viewpoints to that, really. But I think I I imagine everyone in that in that screening that I was in, almost pretty much everybody in there has watched all of these films or the majority of these films or at least the key films leading up to this, and they knew exactly what they were going to get, and it gave it to them. You know, they knew that this is the storyline we've been building to for you know the last six years since the first Avengers. They knew who all the characters were going to be, and they they had an idea of a lot of the beats being played. and And, I, th- and the, I think the the enjoyment came from seeing, obviously, people who haven't interacted before. You know, like Tony Stark and Doctor Strange, or the Guardians and Thor. And and the joy of it came out of the fact that the writers, I think, knew exactly the kind of beats to hit comedically in order to make those interactions worthwhile. So I think. I think it played. You're right. It did play audiences' expectations, but I think they they knew what they were going for, and and you know Marvel have have really got it down to a fine art now in terms of giving the people what they want, which is why I think they're so successful and and so consistent without being directly the same each film. You know, like you said, Darren, I, I agree about Thor Ragnarok there. I think it is a bit. It's all over the place in a good way because it's got Taika Waititi's unusual eccentricity on it really so they're they're being more experimental in some ways while at the same time being very having a sense of continuity of tone which I think is one of the things that people feel quite comfortable about with these films now and Infinity War was just the whole thing to the max you know it was (laughs) it was Marvel template to the max just I don't think I've ever seen a film quite on this scale really in many ways
2: I suppose there, there was no real uh, parsimony about it. To be clear, I, I thought this was great. I thought it, I thought it was fantastic. There were so many parts of it where I was really kind of like on board. And overall, overall I was on board. But I, I think it's just like an aesthetic thing. Yeah. Um, where, where it's just the amount of pieces. It is 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 just kind of like, it it just it just feels feels a little bit too much. I mean, like I, I I I don't it it it's I think I think well I think Darren has said it. I'm 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 sure other people have said it. This, this is Game of Thrones. We'd, we'd like and I I'd, I'd like Darren to maybe kind of uh, talk a little bit about that because I I've I found like that kind of hit the nail
0: on the head. Well, we'll probably talk a little bit about that in the spoiler zone because I think it's very specifically modelled on... The, the argument is that the Marvel films are a lot like television um, in terms of how they're produced and in terms of how they're made. And the idea that you have Kevin Feige as a showrunner who's maintaining, I think, Tony, what you described as the consistency of tone across the, the films and stuff. And while you have individual episodes that have individual writers and individual sort of, you know, maybe variances within the sort of harmony, they all come together and they all tell a larger arc. I mean, myself and Tony podcast about the X-Files and I think that uh, Todd Vander for Fox, as compared the Marvel Cinematic Universe to the X-Files, in that you have the big mythology uh, episodes, so to speak, the ones that push the overall plot forward, and those are typically the ones directed by the Rousseau brothers, so for example, uh, Civil War, Winter Soldier, this obviously, and then you have, like, the quirky, like sort of weird standalone ones and you can sort of put like what sort of Ragnarok in the context of a Darren Morgan episode or you know you can put like uh <clears throat> Ryan Coogler's Black Panther in terms of a Vince Gilligan episode you can do that sort of stuff with it and there's always this sort of sense of of bouncing between the two extremes and I think that with Infinity War in particular there's a very clear emphasis on uh game on the way that Game of Thrones is made in terms of it splits its cast up geographically across a huge board. Like there are title cards that help you navigate around this vast universe and it's a testament to how well the cinematic universe has been been built that it can take you from Wakanda to Scotland to space uh, to never can ever. But you have this sort of like sense of hopping around. You have these characters who bounce off one another like marbles who are sort of interacting with one another and they're trading and they're topping. Like I mean it doesn't spoil anything to say that like certain combinations of characters are together early in the film and then one of them will leave and he he'll end up reuniting with another group of characters and they'll sort of like, they'll interact and they'll bounce. And even like the the basic stuff like, say, segues and how Game of Thrones transitions between scenes where it will transition often along like a theme or a character arc or a hanging question to jump from one side of the, you know, its geography to another. You have stuff like, for example, in this, you have Tony Stark going, where's Thor? And then the story will cut to what Thor is doing. You have Nebula saying, you know, okay, um, Mantis, meet me on Th- on Titan. And then you cut to Titan. And you have this sort of like fluidity of storytelling, which is very Game of Thrones-esque. And even in terms of how it's structured um, as, uh, as a film, and I don't want to get too specific about this because everybody's very conscious about spoilers and when I went to the press screening I actually got a little badge which says Thanos demands your silence issued to the press reviewing the film which is unprecedented in terms of my experience I
2: didn't know Thanos was involved in this
0: he's a very big producer I mean come on he like he bought stock no, in Disney. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is all Thanos's film, uh, in many ways, baby. Um, there on opening night, in like taking up two seats while smoking a cigar. Uh, but yeah, it's it's He's very...
2: looking around and saying it's great, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic, and there's so much space in the cinema now. But yeah. we we won't <laughs> go into that. Um, but there. The, the thing is that there's a real spoiler sort of conscious aspect of how people are approaching Infinity War. And I think, well, that, first of all, that's fair in terms of the ending. But I, I don't think... First of all, critics and people who see movies generally know not to spoil the endings of particular films. That's why, for example, this podcast has a spoiler zone where we can talk about the film in total without reference to its ending. Like So people know there's a bit of a decorum there. You don't say that, you know, at the end of whatever, it turns out the killer was really whoever. That's basic etiquette of watching a movie. But what Infinity War did was it hyped up spoilers to a ridiculous degree to the point where at one point i think the rousseau brothers were interviewed by the irish times here again in ireland and they said that revealing anything about the plot of the movie would be considered a spoiler revealing what thanos wants Some would be a spoiler beginning. yeah
2: uh, like ordinarily a kind of like first 15 minutes you can kind of say um okay like uh um, here's here's where james bond is and and here's the kind of context of 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 what he is and what the what what the villain is doing, you have to kind of uh, trust to a certain extent that okay a lot of the setup has been in previous movies. So if you've seen them, you know what this movie is about broadly speaking, and we're not like we probably shouldn't give you any more details than that.
0: But I mean, there's also even though the way that the like Game of Thrones, one of the things that Game of Thrones did that innovated the way that we talk about television, is it arguably became minute mo- moment-based television. It became television that was rooted more in particular scenes. And particular story beats and particular ideas. And like without getting too spoilery, you know the scenes that I'm talking about. The moment at the end of the first season where everything changes. The moment at the end of the third season where something really terrible happens that everybody reading the books was like waiting with glee for audiences to discover. When you know, the,
2: when, uh, when the dragon uses his catchphrase.
0: Yeah, that really caught people off guard. Yeah but th- there is because we
2: didn't know that the dragon spoke
0: yeah and then it was Eddie Murphy as well which yeah. was completely caught everybody off guard but there is I'm an... oh,
2: sorry I, f- I forgot about spoilers yeah we're
0: not in the spoiler zone yet yeah. but there, there is this idea of Game of Thrones inventing sort of moment based or not inventing but like pioneering moment based television which is arguably something for the internet era where you have like Tumblr and you have GIFs and you have this idea of sharing and like even when it comes to Infinity War and we talk about all the spoilers of Infinity War it's worth t- noting that like S- Infinity War spoilers without context has become a viral meme over the course of the weekend where people are posting images that like suggest the plot of the film without revealing any details so they become like little snippets of information about it and like that feels when i'm watching infinity war it feels like an attempt to adopt that like game of thrones break the internet make each moment count of itself more than like the holistic sort of aspect of the story you're telling and and sort of do it that way and that's sort of the way that they talk about like protecting spoilers to me seems like it's sort of acknowledging that in a way. It's acknowledging that watching Infinity War is in some way a collection of moments and that even talking about those individual moments without giving any context of plot, motivation, or even like the big events in the film would somehow diminish the experience of having seen it. And it's, it's sort of fascinating because it's like peak TV, but peak TV that you pay $9 or, you know, or nine euros to go and see on a big screen with everybody else with a new episode being released once every, you know, three or four months. It's, it's remarkable.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's, it's interesting because, because, it's reached the point now where there it's got such an, it's such an interconnected universe and people are used to this building storytelling. You know, they, it is very much like a TV show now. It's a TV show writ large. And, and I think, I think that's one of the reasons it's, it's not only been such a success, but people, I think, enjoy it on a, on a real sort of basic level. And, and I mean, it's, I've been reading a lot about about response to this film this week, and I I keep when I came out the cinema, I remember thinking I loved that, but I also do have a little bit of a critic brain that at the back of my mind was going, is that really going to work as a film in the long run? You know, it, there's a euphoria about this film, yeah, real sense of euphoria. As soon as you walk out, you know, I, I experienced a similar thing with the Force Awakens. You know, I was anticipating The Force Awakens like I anticipated this. This is the, this is the, the, the one film since then that I've been really excited about. So, you know, I, I came out of it on both occasions with that euphoria. And when I've gone back and watched The Force Awakens, I enjoy it. I enjoy it quite a lot. But that euphoria, as that wears off, you start to see a little bit of the join. And I, I, I think that will happen with Infinity War in, in time. I think it will be one of those, I don't know if it will depreciate, I think I'll always enjoy it, but I don't know if there's anything else there beyond the euphoria, and that, that, that's what that's what I do keep going back and forth on really. And I, but I but I think audiences have now reached that point that you know pe- certainly people who don't criticise and analyse are, are are just in, in for the ride now. They're they're in with these characters. They are you know like Game of Thrones. They are and it, that that comparison is spot on. They are. They are invested in the characters. And Game of Thrones now is bonkers. You know, Game of Thrones makes no sense anymore. You know, there was that episode in the last season where a character basically ran a thousand miles over the space of like twenty minutes <laughs> to get from one bit to another. And, you know, it doesn't make any sense. But then nobody cares anymore because it gives you the payoff. It gives you the payoff. And, and you know, Infinity War is the end of a of a ten, ten year long season one, basically. Uh, well, it's the beginning of the end of that. You know, or, or you could even suggest because they're talking about without going into any spoilers, they're talking about Avengers four might be quite different. So that almost could be the season premiere, <laughs> you know, of the next season. So you know, it's it, it's it's a payoff, and I, and I think that's what people with all these, you know, if you use the episodic comparison, that's what people have been waiting for, you know, and and it, and it gives that to you. I just don't know if
0: that's everything or that's enough. Well,
1: well yeah. And, 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 but it's 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 got to settle more, and, I, and it's going to take a long time for to do that, really.
0: Well, I mean, it's at 10, so it will be settling on this list for quite a while, one imagines. It's the highest Marvel movie ever to make the list. It's currently the only Marvel movie ranked. A lot of them tend to come in, but they tend to come in around, say, 170, 200, and then sort of drop out over the course of the next four months. And it's nice because it means that, like, by the time one has dropped out of the 250, another one's come along to take its place. And also, like, it's like that VHS sort of thing. It's like Black Panther being released on Blu-ray just in time for you to catch up before going to see Infinity War. It's It's a... it's an interesting churn, and it's it's kind of like that's one of the interesting things for me about Infinity War is that it is an absolutely fascinating and compelling piece of product, and I mean I, I mean that in a in a <laughs> sensational way like as as a piece of Content. like yeah as a piece. no not even content like because the con- actual product. the actual content doesn't matter it's the packaging of it it's Pro- the-
2: product sounds like wax that you put in your hair
0: yeah okay fine but okay content then it's a perfect piece of content no,
2: either either sounds like the 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 this it, it's 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 a a, a corporate product you know
0: yeah well, I mean, I mean, like, come on, let's face it, most movies are. And I don't want to seem sort of snooty and arrogant and be condescending. Because, I mean, like, obviously, all the movies I love are in, in some way shaped by corporate interest. They're released to make money. They're designed to make shareholders sort of return on on that sort of thing. And But what's striking to me is just as a piece, if you were to look at Infinity War as a commercial enterprise, it is astounding. It is I, in many ways unparalleled going back to like the earliest days of the studio system. This is like gone with the wind for like our generation, just in terms of like sheer like money-making power, in terms of like making a cultural impact, in terms of like ensuring that the people who run the company will never be out of business and will never have to worry about job security. It is astounding and the packaging of it and the delivery of it. And like, I mean, it's telling one of the things that I found I quite like about Infinity War is the fact that like much like pair of the film pairs, the characters up on screen, it pairs the actors up for doing interviews and stuff like that. Like there's, it tends to like put the actors together and send them out to meet the press in small bunches. And it's almost like you're watching like the, the actors take on a mini mission the same way the characters do, where you have like Don Cheadle and sort of Mark Ruffalo talking together while Don Cheadle is very nervous that Mark Ruffalo is going to spoil the entire ending of the movie. You have like one of my favorite things over the past week has been watching Benedict Cumberpatch get paired repeatedly with Tom Holland and have to literally reach across the room and put his hand over his mouth to stop him from inadvertently revealing, like, some key detail. And it's kind of interesting how all of that is sort of packaged together, how the content of of Infinity Wars is, is is almost impossible to separate from, like, the marketing reality, from the fact that it exists as an object. It's...
2: How intentional is that fantastic kind of dramatic irony? We already talked. We we have we, talked about it on kind of so many levels. How the the pre, pre, production um, seems so allegorical of, of the movie and and uh, like the marketing and like, like like is 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 somebody is, is somebody it's a genius d- here? Somebody in Disney. And, is like has, like kind of decided that they're going to kind of like put these patterns in people's minds and it's like, I don't know it, 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 it for, I, I, I have my suspicions.
0: Yeah. I, I wouldn't put it past it. Like this is a, this is a $400 million movie. This costs a lot of money. This is the product of 10 years of organization. Like the, the military efficiency, when they were filming in Scotland, for example, they were filming in, I think, Dunbar Cathedral. Literally, the peop, the security guards who work in Dunbar C- C- Cathedral weren't allowed on set for fear of leaking information or spoilers or information to the press. This is a military-grade organization. They have stuff like, for example, Michael Rooker, Um, appearing and showing up on set in order to throw off the press, despite the fact that he obviously couldn't possibly be in the film. They have actors who are, like, in costume, hanging around in order to throw off spoilers. This is military-grade efficiency. But, I mean, we'll probably talk a bit more about this when we get to the spoiler zone, given how impossible it is to separate, like, what Infinity War is as a, like, a monolithic pop culture event versus what it is as an actual narrative film and a piece of entertainment. Uh, but I guess the only thing left to ask is well first of all would it make your 250 Tony and do you think that it belongs on the 250 and if by any chance like the people listening to this podcast are one of like the five people in the world who have not yet seen infinity war should they go and see it
1: um yes yes they should be, be, not because they need the money because <laughs> they really don't need the money uh, but it, it's yeah yes if, if you if you're a fan of it you know if you're a fan of it and you've been following these storylines and these characters for some time, then yes. If you if you're not, or or you, you're new to it, you really, really need to do your homework first. And you know, a lot of people have, have been critical about it for that reason, but I I don't really think that's I think that's that's a you know, on the person and in, in, in the, in the individual, really. I, th- I think if you really want to get something out of this, you can't go in without really knowing who these people are and what this universe is, because it is it is the season finale, as I said. So, I think yes, people should go and see it. Would it be on my 250? No. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't even think it's the best Marvel film this year. You know, I don't think it's as good as Black Panther for a start. But and and you know, I'm I'm not even sure that would be on my 250. You know, and that's I love that film. I think it's brilliant. I, I there are so many great movies. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a, that's it. Like choose your favorite. Um,
1: um you know, the, I, a, there are so many great
0: jokes I can't make here because we're not in the spoiler zone yet.
1: It, the the but, reality is, I you know, I, I'm not I'm not convinced that any Marvel film that's been made so far deserves to be in a 250 best movies ever made. However, I think I think it will. It, it, you know, it doesn't deserve to be where it is. But I, I think I think it's really good and I, d- yeah i definitely go and see it definitely
0: andrew um this i actually have a question just on what tony was saying there about like having to do your homework and stuff you you watched civil I, I, yeah. when
2: when you said 19 uh movies I, I i i realized again oh i definitely haven't done my homework because i was talking during the week about I was at work like it, I guess it's that popular a movie that you even like talking about it um, to 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 like colleagues during lunchtime or whatever and and I was saying I'm pretty sure I've seen them all <laughs> and of course I haven't my favorite was, was, was at
0: one point when we were watching the film Andrew turned around to me and said I haven't seen that one <laughs>
2: yeah I, I I hadn't seen uh, Black Panther and I was like of course what the hell because i i wa- i managed to, i managed to finally watch civil war like last weekend i was like okay caught up <laughs> but <laughs> and, no <laughs> no not, not at
0: all. Uh, here's the thing, though. I would almost disagree slightly with what what Tony was saying. I think the film actually does a fairly decent job of catching up if you haven't seen absolutely everything. And it does that in a very clever way through, say, bringing characters together who have been absent for extended periods of time. It doesn't spoil much to say that, you know, Bruce Banner, who has been off stage from, like, Age of Ultron, arrives back on Earth and he's sort of, he's missed, like, everything from Spider-Man Homecoming to Ant-Man to Civil War along the way. And so he provides a nice little back and forth in terms of questioning but even and i I think this is to the credit of the writers and this is in terms of like this is like i'm gonna i may be very harsh about this film in the spoiler zone so i'm preemptively buttering up all those twitter people who may get very angry at me because i I discovered over the weekend while i was watching civil war and tweeting about it people have very strong feelings about the marvel cinematic universe
2: you found that out before though haven't you you (laughs) you were warned you're 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 saying as if like i never meant to offend anyone I just said a few things thinking that no one would react. You knew well,
0: because <laughs> you thought you were previous there. I, I, I took up the stick and poked the hornet's nest. <laughs> exactly. But I think that it is to the credit of the writers that they... I, I, just
2: to be clear, you, you these are your sincere opinions. You're not just trying to annoy fans. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. that's a bonus. Um, but no, <laughs> I think it is to the credit of the writers, though, that I think... I I obviously know this stuff inside out. I'm a big comic book fan. I actually have a room full of comic books downstairs. So I, I was never going to be confused or lost. But I think, like even Andrew, having not seen Black Panther, I think you got a fairly good grip of what was going on involving those characters. Yeah,
2: right? yeah, no, it, like I didn't feel like I, I obviously I did miss a lot, but I didn't miss so much that I you um, felt locked out. Yeah, no, I did. I, I didn't feel I didn't feel lost. Um, like I had seen. Um, uh the portion of civil war that that that, that involved black panther yeah. yeah so so i did i did miss a certain amount but i absolutely want to see Black Panther, of course. But, but Black
0: Panther didn't make the list, so we haven't actually watched it. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> the um, only I... Marvel movie over the past year not to have made the list. I wonder what's different about Black Panther, but that's but a different I know podcast. I you've seen it, Darren, but uh-huh.
2: I, I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. Watching movies that aren't on this, uh, <laughs> on this list. Yes.
0: Yeah. If only somebody would, like, have the list. If only there were a way yeah. to deal with the overpopulation on this list.
2: You see if I keep, if I watch movies that aren't on the list, then we'll never ever, ever finish. see all of these movies. Yeah.
0: But Andrew, so what about you? Would this would this rank on your 250? Do you think it belongs on the 250? And would you recommend that people go see it?
2: I'm trying not to color my view of this movie. I'm, tr- I'm tr- uh, with 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 the horrible experience that I had watching it, which had nothing to do with the movie itself. It's uh, like I'm trying to be kind of um, objective, but it's difficult to do. And I, I think it's difficult in general yeah, to be no objective about movies, especially when it's so recent. This is the thing about these just in, there's no real sense of perspective. You can try to kind of... Um, some um, The 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 thing about trying to kind of artificially create perspective is that you can be sometimes too harsh on a movie and not really admit how much you enjoyed it I enjoyed this quite a bit there were moments in this where the audience were um, like cheering yeah I was, and the I guy was behind us
0: in. yeah the, there was a guy behind us who was really into the movie and like i sound like i sound really cynical and andrew joked about me poking the hornet's nest that is his fandom like i adore that level of reaction if you care about a movie if you feel a movie then the movie's doing something right and there's something beautiful in watching an audience respond to a movie on a primal instinctive level And i think they have to infinity war yeah
2: yeah um it's it, it's the whole I suppose I I actually preferred it a lot to Civil War. Yes, um, I would agree with that. I I think that's really to its credit. But I, 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 I think the, the the similarities to to Civil War, I made me, meant that I really wasn't looking forward to it. But I was very happy with the um, kind of outcome of it, yeah. knowing that it was going to be akin in some way to. Um, to, to Civil War.
0: All right. uh, before we go into this zone, I'll, I'll probably just level here and say that I don't think it belongs on the list. If you're going to put a Marvel film on the list, I'd arguably put the original Avengers on the list. I think that that was a momentous occasion. I think that was a moment where all these characters from these different franchises came together and it worked really, really well. This does that but more. You know it doesn't feel like a big step forward and I feel like there's a there's an argument for it being a massive cultural moment and it being acknowledged as such. And maybe maybe there is that, but the 10th best movie of all time is just something that I I can't I can't fathom. It's unimaginable. Its scale is is impossible to comprehend, much like a lot of the things in the movie itself. So I mean, I I understand why it's there. I I wouldn't object too strongly, but I I wouldn't put it there myself and I would much I find myself thinking much more fondly of the Avengers for what it accomplished, which now seems like, you know, just a, a you know a church picnic compared to what this was in terms of, like, military-grade technique. But anyway, we're going to go away. We're going to talk about this in a bit more depth on the other side of the spoiler zone.
2: Spoiler zone!
0: So, Tony, <laughs> what is Avengers Infinity War about for you?
1: It is about a... Big lad with a magic glove <laughs> <laughs> who gets a, a few little uh, rocks and decides to destroy the, half the universe. I, I, <laughs> I read um, I, you, you wrote a very good article, Darren, which I did agree with in many ways um, on your blog about how you weren't sure that Infinity War, War was about much. And
0: Which is why I asked the question. It's great. I don't ever have to answer these. It's it's fantastic.
1: It, it, I don't I don't know if it is. I don't I don't know if that's as much of a problem for me really, um, because it, ultimately it is it is very much the, the payoff story to something that's been building all these little Infinity Stones that people have been collecting for you know ten years, and finally we know what they're for and what they do, sort of, and. You know, it's it's tied up with the you know this very philosophical uh, plan that Thanos, the villain, has about what he considers balance in the universe. You know, and and but I I think it's like it's like I think I described it in my review as like he's like a watered down Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. You know, in terms of his ideology, really, he uh, it's a less, much, much less nuanced version of that for me. And I, I, you know, so I think I think ultimately it's about a, a bunch of superpowered heroes who we all like, who are full of wisecracks, taking on a big dude, and well, losing. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, I, I think that that's a fair point that you raise, like is is the fact that this well, first of all, let, let's put aside the question of is if it's about anything, because I've been reading a lot over the past week, I've been sort of trying to find some sort of angle in which I can talk about this and say, look, this is a, a blockbuster for the moment, because I've, I've read articles that argue, for example, that Thanos is an embodiment of America after the Second World War, he sees himself as as the ultimate arbiter of the universal good and doesn't care about the collateral damage that he inflicts upon the universe in doing that and compares, for example, the clicking of his fingers and the use of the gauntlet, which leads to the death of people who turn to dust, to the dropping of the nuclear bomb and him looking out over the new dawn as, as some sort of expression of the American century. And I look at that and I think, ah, that's a bit of a stretch. I can sort of see it, but it's, you're kind of pushing it a great deal there. And I mean, there, there's, there's other yeah, interpretations. It's not as bad as Americans. <laughs>
2: whoa 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 that was it, that was that was obviously a joke
0: okay just so we're clear yeah, yeah. um no. but yeah i i think that was pushing it a little bit there's then an argument that thanos is like the embodiment of like he's an ecology argument waiting to happen he's like this critique of environmentalism in the same way that like remember scaramanga from um the man with the golden gun who is the most evil environmentalist who ever lived he's the guy with the solar powered laser beam um who's like i like renewable energy and killing things um and thanos is very much sort of of that ilk as well but that doesn't really work either because thanos as a character like let's talk about thanos as a character because I've been reading a lot of stuff that argues that Thanos is one of the better Marvel villains. He's one of the more interesting characters, one of the more nuanced and one of the more developed. And I look at that and I say, I can see why you would think that. But looking at the film as it plays out, Thanos is a character who has like an affectation of depth more than actual depth.
1: Yeah, I, I probably agree with that, really. I think I, I, I found him interesting and I think... To their credit, they worked hard to not make him just a big, you know, lummox with a big magic, you know, glove. They they did. Because, you know, if you look at him, he's he's a big CGI hulking. He looks more like a henchman. He's grimace. And, yeah. He looks more like that bald dude from uh, The Spy Who Loved Me who gets pushed off a roof. You know, <laughs> better of <ends>! ah! <laughs> Right? He's just that kind of hulking guy, sort of henchman guy. But so they worked hard to try and give him more depth. You know, his relationship with Gamora, which has been well seeded in really with Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, and like you talked about, you know, his rationale, which you can go deep on. But like I said, I agree with you. I don't really think that's needed. But at the same time, I I think he's I think he's one of the better villains because, you know, Marvel have never really done. I don't think they've done villains really well. I think of recent years, Killmonger was very good in Black Panther because he he had a fair bit of depth to him. And, you know, I'd say my favourite villain of the entire MCU isn't even in the movies. You know, it's Kilgrave from Jessica Jones. He was, he was a fantastic villain.
0: And Fisk is also very good from Daredevil as well.
1: Yes, he is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, they're, they're doing better work on on in some of the TV shows in that regard. So I think Thanos kind of had the place to sort of come in and, you know, m- make his mark as... You know the the uber supervillain of the of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I think on a basic level he does. You know he's he's really hard to take down, and ultimately, you know, as it turns out, they don't. But and they almost do it. You know, they very very nearly do it, but it takes a titanic effort to get that guy you know locked down. And I, I like that about it. You never you did feel like it was hard work for them. You know that was good.
2: It's a real triumph of nerd culture be, because the the these are all these are all sort of relatively obscure um, characters uh, yeah like, Conf- if you said like, 12 years
0: ago the biggest franchise in the world would be anchored in iron man
2: yeah and like uh, guardians of the galaxy and even like captain america to 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 to, to an extent but the, the thanos <laughs> was the, the absolute kind of like taking the the pace taking the gauntlet so <laughs> for, to speak yeah for 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 somebody like myself who doesn't own a comic book at the end of was it avengers yes where he where reveals all of a sudden himself they have this weird sort of cgi um uh, after credit sequence and i was like what what, what is was this? that yeah. I don't. I don't. I'm. I do not care <laughs> what what that was, and the, the like. The way it was kind of uh, portrayed was like this is a moment of great import. <laughs> I was like, die I uh, wait until the end of the credits for that? <laughs> It, it, and it, it's it's incredible how difficult they've made it for themselves. Because they're like, you see this guy you don't care about at all? Well, we're going to make you care about them. And the, the, the craft to to to, to yeah, do that is and incredible. get away with it. Yeah. Roland is,
0: is amazing it, in this, to be honest. Yeah. He's really, really good. And you know that when they're filming on set, apparently the actors had difficulty keeping a straight face. Because in the scenes where Thanos would directly physically interact with the actors he would have to wear prosthetics that equated the bulk of Thanos. So like when he was patting somebody's head, it would be Josh Brolin, but he would be wearing a monster arm. Um, and it was apparently something to behold. And
2: it's, well, it was hilarious, even without like seeing the props, like his huge, big hands, kind of like
0: um, choking Loki, for example, where it looks like his his little finger has nowhere to go.
2: And, and it was hilarious, like him handing a cup to uh, Gamora, <laughs> Gamora, and and, and, and little, little bits like that. Do we do we want to do we want to talk yet about how? I am... Um, <laughs> utterly bleak <laughs> that this this well, movie was and how upsetting it is to the like the, this was the um one of the other ways in which it was most like uh, game of thrones is <laughs> like killing everybody that you well, um uh
0: cared about care about well I'll, I'll be cynical right and i'll say that when i mentioned the game of thrones comparison i can't talk about this because of spoilers but now we're in the spoiler zone i can it reminded me a lot of the structure of Game of Thrones where you would traditionally... This is spoilers have, for everything. Spoilers for everything. Where you'd have big events happen early in the season and late in the season. Early in the season to show that the show meant business. Late in the season to provide a springboard to doing something else. If you think about it, for example, the purple wedding with Joffrey happened early in the fourth season. The red wedding happened late in the third season. The murder of Ned Stark happened late in the first season. So you have like you have the beginning that opens sharp, grabs your attention and holds it. You have sort of a middle section of the film and then you have a really bleak ending that sort of makes you wonder what's going to happen next. And like part of the structure of Civil War, sorry, of of Infinity War felt very cynical to me and very similar in that regard because it opens with two deaths of like relatively major supporting characters. Hymenel played by Idris Elba, who's been in all three Thor films and Age of Ultron and Loki, which is arguably the biggest and most important death of the film because Loki not only has been the villain of the Avengers movie, he's been in all three Thor movies and the internet adores him. He was one of the first internet's boyfriends. You know, they have the they have these rosy pictures of their dates they went on together before Taylor Swift got her claws into him. But they have this sort of like connection to Loki where murdering him is like okay, playing for keeps.
2: Plus it doesn't make sense in terms of his sort of arc cuz yeah. the 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 whole um thing about Loki and they really play off it in Ragnarok is that he he's Um, He wants to be like loved a a, a hero, and he wants to be loved. And him him uh, arriving on Asgard, he's kind of like I'm. With his hands out and the helmet
0: on, going Asgard, welcome your savior. Yeah, for one night only.
2: Yeah, which 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 kind of didn't make sense to me, but but I understand.
0: Well, I mean, we'll come back to the bleakness. Why is it
2: motivating, I suppose, but...
0: We'll put a pin in that and we'll come back to the bleakness. Because I'm actually... This is one of the things that interests me about Infinity War. Is that so much of the movie is spent undoing or ignoring the continuity and the stuff that happened in earlier films like there's a large portion of infinity war that exists solely to undo ragnarok in terms of both, both literally and thematically right so ragnarok has this big thematic arc about how asgard is horrible and the destruction of asgard is a good thing because asgard is an imperial power and it's a people it's not a place and it has this big arc where thor goes from being like the first son the prince of asgard to finally become becoming a king and ascending to the throne and the opening scenes of infinity war have massacred at least half of his population and like left him adrift in space without any kingdom but not only that you have the literal reversal of like several of the character developments you have he lost his eye. At the end of Ragnarok, which was a big deal because people like having eyes, and it's one of the things that you see about him. But he gets a, a new one here. He lost his ax. Ah, he lost his sorry hammer, you know, in Thor Ragnarok, and it was a big deal because the hammer pulled him off. But then immediately <laughs> in in this movie, he gets Stormbreaker, which is basically the hammer, but now it's an axe. And there's a lot of like reversals of stuff, like say Civil War which was a movie that hinged on the idea that, like, Tony and Steve were, like, no longer best buds, that the Avengers had broken up like a band, like the Beatles, as, as like, the Hulk describes it here. But, like, you have no consequences of that. Tony is literally about to ring Steve when the Ebony Maw arrives on the planet. Rhodey, who's, like, last seen in Civil War, I know because I watched it the other night, Rhodey's last scene in Civil War was, like, yes, I'm crippled yes, my life has been changed, yes, I'm going to be carrying the scars of this for the rest of my life, but I signed those documents because I believed in what we're doing. And his very first scene in Infinity War amounts to, uh, screw that, high cap, let's go team up and be superheroes again.
2: he doesn't have to have recovered, like, at all. (laughs) They at least allow him to walk around, but he could have just had, like, Stephen Hawking powers, where (laughs) he uses his eyeballs to kind of, like, move around. Control the the armor. yeah. What do you call it? The, the... <laughs> the war machine. <laughs> the war machine.
0: <laughs> but yeah, there's there is a like there's a weird aspect of like this brushing away all the stuff that was supposed to be important in earlier films, which is something that really bugs me about Marvel's like continuity between films. Because you have, and this is something that I carry over from the comic books, which is like the Stan Lees. You want the illusion of change, but not the reality of change. You want stuff that looks like change, that feels like change, but which isn't actually changed. So Thor can become king at the end of Ragnarok. But then all his subjects die, so he's not really king in, in you know Infinity War. So he go back to being a regular superhero.
2: Plus, I I have the sense that these movies will go on forever. <laughs> yeah. um, so like at at some point, uh, there's gonna be like, oh my god, Mjolnir is back.
0: <laughs> you know what you've been waiting for? Yeah. In yeah. Thor, Thor like, fifteen. I thought it
2: was gone, and it was definitely gone. But now it's <laughs>
0: back. Uh, um, back again. Tell yeah. a friend. But no, I. I that is something that sort of jumps out at me. But I mean, what about what about yourself, Tony? Because you talked a lot about enjoying this as the culmination of an experience.
1: Does does it feel like it rolls back some of the stuff from the other films to you? Well, n- now you've mentioned some of that, it does. So I have to... Sorry. <laughs>
0: Darren kills joy. Darren ruiner of movies.
1: (laughs) The uh the the, the Ragnarok stuff I I, I thought at the time. I did think, well, wow, okay, this this isn't what I expected to happen very early on after the you know, I was surprised it carried on so sort of directly from Ragnarok, to be honest. I was that that took me by surprise, really. Um so yeah, but no, you're right. It it does. Especially the stuff about um you know, about civil about Roadie, you know, War Machine. It, it didn't it was it was sort of sort of in the back of my mind, I think, when I was watching it, thinking, wasn't he like really badly injured? Wasn't he like crippled and now he's fine? And this is
0: the first time he's been in the room with Falcon who was responsible for crippling him. And the first thing he says was, rough couple of years, huh? It's like, we're not gonna talk about this.
1: It's true. And and so I think I think that was vision, wasn't
0: it? Well vision fired at him, but he was firing at Falcon who dived out of the way.
1: Yeah. But he, when when you when you look at it in that in those terms, that is it is true. It does try and airbrush a little bit away in order to get everybody involved for this for this massive team up I think I think this is part of the thing though with yes you you, you need to do your homework but I think I think it gets away with a lot because of the the you know the, the, the journey we've been on and the, the goodwill it's built up you know it's, it's the same with it's the same with game of Thrones as I mentioned earlier. There, there is a real feeling now. I think that they can, they can kind of maybe skip a couple of beats, skip a couple of logic plot points because you are, you are invested in this, you know. And and, and I think there's, you know, when we were talking earlier about how there's such an effort to keep spoilers at bay. I, I, I don't think that there, there are many franchises, either at the movies or in TV these days, that really go to these lengths in order to keep things. Secret, you know, really, there's a real sort of effort everywhere. You know, there's probably only half, half a dozen. You know, things like like some of the Star Wars movies, like um, Game of Thrones, maybe Westworld now is becoming that as it becomes a new TV phenomenon. And back in the day, it was lost. You know, it, it was it, th- those were the kind of things where people there was such anticipation. There was so many. There was so much worry that things were going to leak and you were going to hamper that payoff and that enjoyment of all these all these things that have been connecting up. So I think on that level, it, there is there is such a, a a gratification level with the audience that have followed all this for so long, knowing that this is kind of where it's going, that I think they can get away with this stuff a bit more than than if it had been you know part three of a trilogy. And
2: in 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 some ways, uh, things uh, tie up quite nicely because um, Captain America. And Iron Man uh, now have less of an issue. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I didn't like it before because you're friend. Um, but now he's dead. So, so
0: let's I, bond. Yeah, <laughs> is, is,
2: by the way, I, it, the amount of people who died in this movie confused me to the extent that I couldn't remember everyone who's dead or alive. Wait.
0: I mean, I mean, let's talk about the ending because the ending is is what you sorry. described as being bleak then right which is where thanos actually wins like you have the one where star lord asks did we lose and you know steve is basically on the ground going oh god um and you have basically all these characters so steve disin- does survive. Yeah, just survive yes disintegrating into actually, dust yeah. but there's this this sense of like all the characters sort of disappearing and it's it's amazing because i When I was in the cinema watching it with the audience, this was a huge moment. And I've read reviews from people who, like, for example, uh, I think David uh, Edelstein at Vulture took his daughter to go see it at the press screening with him and describes her crying in the seat, like, as these characters were fading away because they are really gut-wrenching. And I mean, I will admit that some of them got to me as well. The scene with Rocket and Groot, uh, which is just, like, you know, Rocket, who is this cynical, wry, snarky guy, going, "Oh no, not you!" That that really sort of hit me, and this all these characters disappearing at the end because Andrew described the movie as bleak in some ways, and I, I.
2: But it's also it's also yeah, boss.
0: Yeah, there's a big butt there, I there it, and I cannot it's lie. It's like
2: okay, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of feels like oh, um, like nobody is watching this movie and thinking. Gosh, that's the conclusion
0: of the of Spider Man story. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's there the was... thing. All the characters who disappear, and this is when I say, one of my issues with the film is how calculated it feels. Like this is where both the thing that I'm in all of it and the thing that keeps me at a remove from it, it ha- is how well engineered it is. Because all the characters who disappear at the end of the film are characters who a have future franchises in the work. They're the next generation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So all of the Guardians bar Rocket are gone. And you know that there's no way that, like, James Gunn is done with them yet. Spider-Man disappears, who's only one film into his massive contract at Sony, with Venom appearing later this year and having already released trailers. Um, Black Panther disappears, who is, like, the seventh highest grossing film of all time, and has only appeared in two films to date, so there's no way that they're done with him yet. While at the same time, all of the Avengers whose contracts are up for negotiation. So for example, Chris Evans, who has spent the past five years going, I'm not sure if I really want to make another Captain America film. Or uh, Robert Downey Jr., who's like, I want to retire before it gets embarrassing. Or even Chris Hemsworth, who before he did Ragnarok was like, so I, I just I just stand here and, and look pretty with my muscles that's what I do right um, you have these characters who all stick around because their contracts are nearing expiring and you can see in terms of story that this is very clearly setting up the fourth film which is going to be like the last hurrah for these original contractually bound heroes so it all feels very calculated and cynical who dies and who lives it's not random chance as Thanos says it is it's the authors or the writers moving those red cards from one board to the other going no but he's got a sequel coming up He'll get his moment later on.
2: I really want to see Iron Man taken out of his misery. And I liked <laughs> Iron Man. Uh, like Iron Man 1, 2 and 3. In Civil War and in this, it's, it it feels like, please just let Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Retire
1: kind of, to a yeah. big pile of money. It's, it's funny you should say that. Because the one moment that made people cry out in the screening I was in, it wasn't Thanos clicking his fingers. It wasn't the people disappearing at the end. It was when Tony got stabbed at that point about so many people went, ah! literally screamed in horror at the thought, Iron Man's going to die. That, that was pretty shocking, I must admit. Yeah. And, and it's that investment in that character. And, and I think you'd have had a similar thing if Steve Rogers had been, had been stabbed or something had happened to him in that way. You know, it, it, by, by the point of everyone fading away there was just sort of a bit of a stunned silence going what the hell is going on You know, but before then it was that real literal gut punch that you know one of these characters you followed for all this time so much as you're absolutely right Darren and I was sitting there thinking well they're not going to die are they because they've all got f- future films they're filming Homecoming 2 you know Spider-Man 2 all these things your average the, the people who screamed out when Iron Man dies, those are the people I think a lot of them who don't think in those terms, who aren't necessarily following, you know, the future plan or or involved in and, and look beyond all this. They're the people who turn up expecting a spectacle, and they're just in the middle of it. So I I think on the I think there would have been a lot of people in there who came out really going, oh my god, have they killed them all? And genuinely wondering if that's actually going to stick. Whereas the most of us who like us are going. Yeah, then they'll be back. What's what's gonna happen? Is it gonna be time travel? Is it gonna be some sort of magic, whatever you know, thing? So, it, it, there's, I think there's two ways to look at it, really, depending on your position in the audience.
0: And I, I do wonder though, like, because we we talk about this, we talked about this on the podcast before, how strange it is and how different it is to watch movies in the internet age. Where, and I think that you're right that we maybe know more than average cinema goers, but I also think that like. <laughs> But I th- I think that
2: like or, yeah actually maybe I do know a little bit more but uh, not 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 quite as much as you guys but yeah no I I I think I think Tony is onto something. All
0: right, I cuz I I would argue that like contractual negotiations for Marvel movies are like headline news now and they go viral and they get tweeted out. And like part of me wonders
2: if you Sorry, have When you say headline news though. That doesn't matter to me and I think it matters less to to uh people who aren't me
0: (laughs) fair um, point who aren't co-hosting a podcast yeah yeah that's a fair point
2: i i I don't i don't don't, like it's there's certainly a like a large group of people who who care about these things and and that you're one of them i don't know how it's certainly more mainstream than it used to be yeah but I, i i i i think i think your average person still doesn't care
0: i part, I part of me wonder though, like if you're a parent and you're a four-year-old and your four-year-old or five-year-old kid has just watched spider-man disappear saying i, I don't want to go like at what point do you as a parent say okay well you're going to live in doubt for the next year four-year-old or five-year-old kid or do you say oh don't worry he'll be back for the next spider-man movie you know that right and I sort of wonder, like, even, even on that level, how, how permanent it is. Because, you know, you're, you know that people are going to go out and they're going to hit Google and they're going to say, is Tom Holland done? And they're going to find an answer immediately, even if it's after the film as well. So I, I like...
2: Uh, it's a shame that it's the days of Google. Yeah. Because if, if, if it were years ago, be, there'd be, like, um, children... Vigils. <laughs> and uh, parents writing letters... <laughs> to, to Marvel. To, to Marvel saying, um, asking them, it's, it'll, like there would be these letters from like six-year-old boys and girls saying like can you please please don't uh, kill my spider-man yeah but, but of I, course that won't happen though.
0: but i, I and, and it is it is just, i think some innocence has been lost there just before we move on though i, I want to say that when i was watching this because i was thinking about the game of thrones comparison like i was thinking this is like a pg-13 bloodless game of thrones while watching it and when it ended part of me was like now I really want Avengers Season 4 to be a bloodless PG-13 version of The Leftovers, uh, where Thor where Thor smashes a bagel machine um, just to figure out where the missing bagel has gone as an expression of grief that he can't quite articulate. And, you know, Tony's asking Natasha to shoot him with a repulsor so he can feel something. You know, Rhodey, Rhodey comes back and discovers that Hawkeye has, like, turned the new Avengers mansion into, like, an X-Men hangout or something like that. But there there is there is, like, something in that, and I wonder... Like, this is the thing, because this movie is nominally quite bleak in that if you, if you talk about it in terms of deaths, if you talk about it in terms of things that happen, it sounds quite horrific. Like, there's this big dude who wants to use a weapon of mass destruction to wipe out half of the universe. But watching it, it never felt real to me. It never felt like a tangible threat, because...
2: Well, hold on. I mean, he does he does yeah, the the way the way these things happen in say thor ragnarok even when asgard is destroyed there's a sense that it it, it there, perseveres there's something kind of like buccaneering about it that they all kind of like um asgard uh, is a people not a place yeah yeah and they they they, they all uh, make out of it like they've just escaped some sort of a heist or something rather than their their home planet being destroyed um uh, where not... where where whereas in this like you see what Thanos does to planets,
0: you don't though. Like this is I this did, is not.
2: My... But Gamora, um, her homeworld um was destroyed. You have Thor's people. Um, uh, uh, people of Asgard have have, have been destroyed. What? I mean it's, it it's, it seems like he he he. He exists to to put balance into the world. Surely enough balance was applied when they got their ass kicked in in Torah Ragnarok. (laughs) He's just um, kicking them when they're down. I feel like if somebody was able to question him, they'd say, oh, wait a second, this isn't in line with your principles." (laughs) Uh,
0: Mr. Thanos, sir, I have a question. Um, But no, I, I, I see what you're saying there, and I understand why it seems bleak, but watching it, right there's a conscious effort to avoid the implications of what Thanos is doing. So the opening scene opens after Thanos has massacred all the Asgardians. It's just, like, you know, explodey stuff and, you know, dead bodies strewn places. But you don't see the murder, you don't see the carnage, you don't see the destruction, you don't see the death. Even when he's on Gamora's planet, like, the shot is framed in such a way that he turns her head away from the violence and it keeps the audience's, like, eyes away from the violence as well. And it's sort of like, part of me wonders, like is the movie, for a movie that's supposedly bleak, all the characters spend the time snarking at one another. And there is one exception, and it's the scene that I think everyone's thinking about, which is the one with Rocket and Thor, which manages this, like, tightrope, emotional tightrope very well, where Thor... Is at once sort of jokey, but also deeply scarred, where he's saying stuff like, you know, oh, Thanos has never fought me, and, and Rockets like he has, but like, he's never fought me twice. But you can see the tears welling up. Yeah, it's such a beautiful scene, and Hemsworth is amazing in it. And it's sort of it it feels funny and sad at the same time, and it feels powerful, and you feel the weight of everything that Thor has endured. The loss of his father, the loss of his sister, the loss of his brother, um, everything like that you feel weighing down on him, and you feel it in that moment. But that's a moment that feels like an exception within the confines of the film for me because you have, otherwise you have, for example, characters standing around snarking at each other who are bantering, who are back and forth, who are joking, who are making sort of light quips and sort of, I know it's meant to be gallows humor, but there's, an element that there's a sense that nobody is taking this particularly seriously. Like, even Spider-Man, who, like, makes the point that he can't be a friendly neighbor Spider-Man if his neighborhood doesn't exist, he never seems particularly concerned about what's going to happen to, say, Aunt May, or Ned, or any of his friends in school. Like, I feel like... And the film would be much more horrific or much more affecting if you were seeing, like, if you had like a moment at the end where Aunt May disappeared, or a moment where the, half the kids in school disappeared while their parents watched, or you had like something that actually felt tangible and dark and really depressing, as opposed to the film. Oh, it seems to be pulling its punches with its level of darkness, and that feels weird to me watching it.
2: Do you know that? Uh, do you know what I didn't enjoy in terms of raising stakes was. Um, Characters getting together. It's it's it, it seemed like the the next thing to do was was to have um, uh, uh, Thor and Black Widow just start scoring, um, <laughs> um, like to to. There's, I, I felt It's a like like Vision was... and
0: Scarlet Witch. You're talking about, is it?
2: Yeah, and also um, you have somebody
0: has G- to do it. It G- shouldn't be you, but it is
2: um, Gamora and Peter Quill.
0: But they've yeah. been they've been on and off or whatever. They've been sort of
2: yeah. <laughs> I, actually, they do refer to that. So there is like a certain
1: amount of long term um,
0: Titan killing yeah. booty call.
1: Yeah, the Vision Scarlet Witch scene is worth it alone for we will deep fry
0: your kebab, fry your kebab. <laughs> i noticed that as well on my first that's, time rewatch that? <laughs> it's in scotland um, and they're having a conversation and when they're watching the television say tony stark has disappeared and there's this solemn moment of bonding between the two characters over i think scarlet witch's shoulder you can see a sign in the window saying we will deep fry your kebab <laughs> like, this is how you, we know you're in scotland
1: that. yeah it <laughs> is amazing but I, didn't, I didn't find it bleak. I've got to be honest. I, 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 mean, it was too funny. You know, on the on the whole, it was you know building up. Yeah, the stakes were were huge. You know, everything's you know going to hell in a handcart in general. But they were, they did spend, like you said, they did spend a lot of it snarking. There, there were so many moments where the character comedy and all all of these different personalities coming together made you laugh, and it, and it was intentional in order to often you know, punctuate a big action scene or a movement of the plot. And I think that it, it, the, the bleakness is only really there, I think, when when you get to the end. And, and the end actually reminded me, going back to Lost again, spoilers in case you haven't seen Lost, but it reminded me of the, the penultimate season finale of Lost. The end of season five of Lost when the bomb is dropped and everything goes to white and in theory everyone's dead. And you spent... Like uh, the summer, yeah. Thinking, have they just killed everybody? Have they just blown up the island or whatever? And then obviously, when you come back, they've they've used a, a level of trickery in order to to get past that. So I think, even though yeah, it's a bleak ending, I think it will be analogous in a way. I think the next film will will have figured out some way to reset the button without resetting the button, and and it will be interesting to see how they do that. So I. I I didn't. I walked away a bit shell shocked. In like, wow! I didn't quite expect it to be that big a cliffhanger, you know. What I mean, because I, 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 I did think they, I did think they'd take Thanos down, and I thought it would then lead into a, a, a part two of some other manner, you know.
2: I, I, f- I, f- I figured they there were six um, Infinity Stones, stones yeah. so that they weren't going, that he wasn't going to get all six in the same bloody like, movie. Film, it yeah. seems like they, they kind of mi- missed a. Um, well, I, 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 well, they, I they, suppose they, they certainly in, inverted my expectations because I thought that's what it was going to be. Three stones I a movie. It was like three, maybe four. And, and then like the... Uh, the two that are on Earth at exactly, the, in the next movie.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, they talked about this. They talked about where they wanted to split the movie because this was... Like, it's been argued that the the advertising campaign for Infinity War is one of the great deceptive advertising campaigns of all time. Because, first of all, it was advertised as Infinity War Part 1. And this was around the time that you were getting releases like Mockingjay Part 1 and Breaking Dawn Part 1. And obviously Andrew's favourite film, uh, Deathly Hollows Part 1, which I think (laughs) is his favourite film on the 250 list. But you have, have basically, you had this sort of thing that was happening. And then Marvel quickly went, oh, no, never mind, dropping the Part 1. This is completely standalone movie avengers 4 which is coming the year afterwards will be a completely different story and then you discover when watching the film actually it's a cliffhanger and like one of the things I suspect with that whole Thanos demands your silence campaign that I talked about earlier is the sense that Marvel really and Disney didn't really want it getting out before the weekend that this was a cliffhanger that this was basically that you might as well wait watch this on DVD and watch the fourth one in the cinema they wanted this because they marketed this as an end all the trailers were like this is the end of the journey this is t- after 10 years what happens and then it's it's just this big cliffhanger and like the writers who are plotting it have talked about how they plotted it all as one big story and like one of the things they did was they considered doing what andrew said which was four gems in one story two gems in another and the click of the fingers like in the first act break in the second one but then they, they basically said that in terms of maximum shock they wanted to have him click the fingers at the end of the first one and just leave that hanging for a year and it's kind of it's it's, it's interesting because there's to a certain extent, is Infinity War an incomplete film? Like, do you think that Avengers 4... Because one of the big arguments that's been made, and, and this is when you talk about like, the fans versus critic thing, is that, like, we can't properly evaluate Avengers Infinity War because it's only half a movie. I would disagree with that. I think it's actually a pretty self-contained movie. It just has an obvious bookend or dovetail into the next one.
1: I, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to say. You could be right. I mean, you know, they're the, the writers are talking up about how it's a completely different genre of film, the next, the next movie, you know, there's been rumours that it might be a heist analogy, you know, like kind of like a heist film in my, in in my, in my mind. And and I don't think it necessarily will be the case, but in my mind, it's Captain America leading a group to go back in time to try and prevent all this happening. Although I don't know if that's quite going to happen, but the point is that if it's, if it's a completely separate story, then retrospectively, infinity war might really seem like its own beast but it, it, I don't know, you know. At this stage, it's it, it's it's hard to say. It is hard to say. It will it will depend, you know, on on what they do and and, and whether or not it, Avengers Four is quite as standalone and you know, it, it, I suppose a, a pure sequel to Infinity War. Because you know, these films, I, I don't tend to think of this universe as, as sequels now. I, you know, it is episodes. It is the continuing story. You know, but the way they're talking about it, Avengers Four is a sequel. In the old traditional style where you would get the same characters or similar characters and you do a completely different story. So, hmm. I don't know. It's interesting in terms of sort
0: of mixing sort of taste there and mixing sort of genre that you talked about because one of the things I find interesting about how this movie was developed and like because it is a remarkable sort of film in terms of like its development process and how it was written. Apparently each some of the individual writers and directors actually had some influence and say over the story and how things happened. So for example uh, Teta Watiti apparently gave a number of jokes which they carried over into the films and I'm fairly sure that you can identify exactly which jokes they were. I would put a solid amount of money on it being it will kill you only if I die that, that, that's what kill you means I suspect that's a Wattiti <laughs> line I uh, love that I also suspect uh, he hasn't fought me He hasn't fought me twice. It's also a TT line. Uh, But James Gunn, who who obviously shepherds the Guardians, he was apparently very involved in certain decisions as well. He picked, for example, the rubber band man as the song that they would play going into the scene. He added the joke about Drax eating the nuts and moving so slowly that he can't be perceived by human eyes. He also, for example, added the bit where, you know, where Thanos takes Gamora hostage. And like when we talk about like difficulty balancing tone and why the stakes never feel real, characters quipping while being held hostage by Thanos is a recurring motif in the film. Early in the movie you have Loki who like when Thanos is threatening to crush Thor's head Thor going oh you really are the worst brother and you're like this this is what you're talking about at this moment in time and later you have like Gamora so, being held ransom by Thanos and you know Peter's like I told you to go right and she's like really we're, we're doing this now but anyway.
2: It reminds me of what makes the some of the Star Wars uh, movies um, uh, kind of lesser in, in in a way, some of the newer ones that the, like the kind of undercutting of of, of the villains. Yeah. Um, like I enjoy the irreverence of these Marvel movies, but um, and I, I far I far prefer prefer them to the to, to the Star Wars movies. But I I I think it works a lot better in 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 the Marvel movies too, because um, it's very kind of consistent in that world. Like to, that, this is the way villains are. Sorry, sorry. This this is the way heroes are. Yeah. That they that that's. Um, it's a very rare thing where they actually feel
0: um uh, Yeah or they actually feel like they can't ha- they can't joke with one another. But I mean like that that sequence where originally in the original draft of the script the writers had decided that Peter wouldn't be able to pull the trigger and kill Gamora whereas in it was it was James Gunn and it was also Chris Pratt who discussing the scene said that look the character made a promise to Gamora he would follow through and he would try to pull the trigger and then you know obviously Thanos wouldn't let that happen so it's interesting like how much of the film sort of changed and came from people who like aren't credited as writers who aren't credited as directors and kind of it in some ways kind of ties back into the whole comic book influence of it where you have like comic book events that are tied together from multiple issues by multiple creative teams where somebody's doing this thing and somebody's writing this scene with this character and then you get another artist coming in and doing this scene with this other character trying to stitch them together and there's a
2: weird almost playful thing about Thanos as well for like he, he's the most um uh serious character but the, 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 the way the way he um transforms um Quill's uh um, friends where he uh, cuts Drax up and, and no, basically he,
0: he uh, well, we went that, to bubbles
2: that but the bubbles <laughs> and, like a number of times they um that that's a a crazy choice for 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 Thanos and he's kind of saying um you're silly, I'm silly too. Let's have See? let's, let's be, be silly
0: together. Yeah. But this is one of the things, right? Cuz that that's a lift directly from Jim Starlin's original sort of Thanos comics. And the thing is that they were really really bizarre and like one of my issues with Infinity War is that it takes some of the surface level bizarre and playfulness, but not all of it. So, for example, like turning the characters into like string cheese and into little blocks is from Starlin. The bubbles are from Starlin. But the character motivation of Thanos, right, which is um, he's going to balance life in the universe. He thinks the universe is overpopulated. This sort of Malthusian sort of environmental sort of attitude, right? That's not Thanos's motivation in the comics. Thanos' motivation, as created by Jim Starlin, is that he really, 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 really has a hard-on for the anthropomorphic personification of death. And he wants to really, really hook up with her. And so he decides the best way to do that is to kill half the universe.
2: You see, that's a movie that I could um, identify with.
0: (laughs) Who hasn't wanted to sleep with death and murder half the universe as part of that? But like that's that's the thing is that the film feels like, it feels like the film is like oh well that is too silly. Even though we have a talking raccoon and a Norse god of thunder, it's too silly to have like a character who's murdering half the universe because he loves death. So he has to have this weird like pseudo Magneto, pseudo like Doctor Doom, like take me serious tragic motivation where he's like, look, I'm really the hero of my own story, and. i liked that
2: though really yeah i i i kind of did um like um i also think that thanos from the comic books from from what you've described is the hero of his own story oh he is
0: (laughs) um... (laughs) i like that andrew's like i can empathize with a guy who really wants to bone death
2: yeah
0: yeah think of it as say anything but the infinity gauntlet is the boom box and the death of half the universe is peter gabriel and that's your movie (laughs) Um, I would argue it's the perfect movie for me Too, for the Me Too moment. It's like Death wow. has clearly decided that it's she's not interested in Thanos, but Thanos just won't take a frickin' hint. Tell me that's not the movie of this moment right now. Come on, this, uh, tell him, Tony. <laughs> Somebody, tell me. I'm
1: not getting involved. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, no, uh, but this is the thing, right? Because for me, like as much as the film wants you to take Thanos seriously, you can't. Because, right, Thanos' motivation is that there are too many mouths to feed. That there's the universe has finite amounts of food and finite resources. And that eventually, if people don't, like, if they're, if you don't find balance, the universe will collapse and all life will suffer. And he has this big speech to Gamora where he's like, look, sure, I murdered your friends and family and everyone you cared about. But, I mean, if you could go to your planet now, the real estate prices are fantastic, um, and it doesn't really work because when he has the Infinity Gauntlet, it's described as a, as a device that can do anything. It can turn him into God, right? So instead of murdering half the universe, all he literally has to do is just say double the amount of space, double the amount of resources, double the amount of food. Or even conceptually do something like, I don't know, eliminate the need for hunger or, or something crazy like that. But instead... The film needs him to murder half the universe because it's settled on the idea that it needs this cliffhanger ending. So when he gets the power of a god...
2: Sorry, the, the, he, he, he would need to... Um, well, I suppose the universe is going to expand in, in, in any case. Because he's going to murder half the people and then they're gonna go mess up the world that he made perfect by murdering half of them.
0: Well that's Eventually. that's it if, if, if you if like if you remove half the people of a planet, you remove half its infrastructure and there's no way that it can continue to function. Like if you remove one pilot from an airplane, everybody on that airplane is dead. Like I don't
2: I don't find it too far fetched. This okay. reminds me of kind of um anarcho primitivism where like like the, <laughs> the, the, the these kind of people who Who feel that like oh the 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 solution to our like political, social, and economic problems is just to have like maybe half a billion of us. That's fine. That's enough.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, we talked about this on the uh, on the My Neighbor Totoro podcast, I think.
2: (laughs) But the thing is that like from from talking to some intelligent people, they seem to be of an opinion that things in our lifetime are going to get really really bad, and that it's inevitable. Okay. Um, there there's this sort of like a catastrophic kind of vision that that, that Well the Anthropocene
0: it, is extinction basically.
2: Yeah, yeah. And 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 uh, Thanos seems to be sort of like has this idea of, of how um he's going to intervene because he's like I've seen this happen to my world. Yeah. Um and I want to prevent this um hap- now, it's not very convincing that he actually um, is 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 working towards good. Yeah. I, I think it's far more likely that he's destroying these worlds out of spite. <laughs> that he and, just and, really, really and, likes And, and calling it. it mercy.
0: Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing, is that the film seems to want you to believe in him. Like, the whole point of the scene with Gamora, where he's crying because he has to murder her, is designed to make the audience think, oh, that poor, evil, giant, purple man... And it feels like the film is trying to have it both ways. It's trying to have a villain who is this monstrous, gigantic, evil threat, but also like to emulate the pathos of characters that like are inaccessible to Marvel because they sold the rights to Fox. Like Magneto, who is like the gold standard of sympathetic comic book villains, or Doctor Doom, who is this character who sees himself as a noble man. Whereas Thanos in, in this movie, it feels like they're trying to do that with him, to make him vaguely sympathetic. But the demands of the plot mean that he can't ever actually be sympathetic because as soon as he gets the power of a god, all he has to do, say is just double the amount of food or have the amount of hunger that an entity needs and it will accomplish the same thing as kill half the universe. The only reason when you are made god that you have to kill half the universe is because you kind of want to do it.
2: If, 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 I, if I felt like the kind of... Um... Expansion of existence and of of humankind and of other kind in the universe had contributed to to depletion of finite resources. My solution wouldn't be to to create twice twice the amount. All right. The, 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 well if i were thanos to be <laughs> yeah, clear like 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 that that would seem like a very inelegant kind of
0: um, I like, I like as compared to murder half of the universe yeah there's some <laughs> there's, there's a something simplicity kind of, to that yeah yeah uh, the sword of thanos dangling over our heads I,
2: I i don't i don't feel like that's a logical problem because he, he's like um do i have to make up new worlds in order to kind of like uh <laughs> fill like, uh fill these up with resources do i have to think of new resources to fuel these kind of worlds who have finite resources i so, oh, just just kill, kill half of them yeah <laughs> <laughs> it seems a lot cleaner <laughs> um.
0: but yeah and uh, but that that's the thing though is like for me the issue with Infinity War is that none of the characters seem to have any agency in it beyond doing what the plot needs them to do. And, like, it happens repeatedly. That's a function
2: of the... Yeah, of the the mechanics of play. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Where, like, for example, Thor, you know, he, he shows up on the battlefield, but somehow he doesn't find Thanos until after Thanos has got vision. Stuff like that. Or the fact that, like, Tony never has to make a choice. Where, like, Doctor Strange, for example, has this really great moment where he's talking with Tony and he's like, look... In order to protect the Time Stone, I will let you, both you and this adorable kid, who for some reason I'm not opening a portal and sending back to New York, I will let you both die if it furthers my end. But the film then structured it in such a way that he surrenders the Time Stone to Thanos to protect Tony's life, but because he's also seen that it's the only future in which they win this thing. There's a real sort of... Like, Andrew talked about the film sort of earlier before the spoilers Zone, about the film's meta-text basically being the text of the film. It's a film that exists because it exists. It exists solely because it needs to exist. Everything in it seems to happen because it needs to happen exactly that same way. And the moment where, like, Doctor Strange looks into the future, finds the one future with a happy ending, and then does what he does and violates his own core principles and his character as he outlined to both Tony and Peter earlier on because the script needs him to do that it feels almost like a clever self-aware commentary it feels like the film is pointing out the lack of agency of the characters as they exist in this sort of gigantic sort of spinning wheel almost
2: it's it's an interesting kind of commentary on like the nature of necessity and um uh, choice it's it, it seems it seems that kind of um like from 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 all of the universes that um, that Doctor Strange has seen, he's realized that from 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 every from from every universe's perspective, it appears that there are choices. But from from the kind of universal view, um, you you can see that there are certain necessities. If you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, I mean. This is interesting because as much, I think this is as close as the film comes to having a theme that is not the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like that is not, the theme is not the film itself because the theme repeatedly comes back to this idea of heroism and sacrifice. There's this repeated recurring motif of the heroes being put in a situation where in order they have a choice to make, which is that they can give Thanos an infinity gem or they can sacrifice the life of somebody. So, for example, in the opening scene, it's Loki watching Thor get tortured and he surrenders the Tesseract. You know, later on, it's the argument over whether or not they'll kill Vision in order to protect the universe from, you know, from Thanos. Um, Or even, like, it's, it's... Quill
2: and Gamora... Quill and Gamora about the the Soul Stone. Yeah, uh, Thanos and Gamora.
0: Yeah, Gamora and Nebula later on, where he's torturing her over the Soul Stone location. Even, as we mentioned already, the Time Stone with with Stephen and, you know, watching Tony about to be murdered. And there's this weird thing that happens where all of the characters, like... It's almost as if the film is suggesting that, like, this is what makes them heroes: is that they don't trade lives. To quote the recurring line from, from you know, Steve Rogers, and and I wonder, is, is that like, is that a thematic thing? That is that a conscious decision that the film's trying to put across, or is so, it just that it's a nice way of generating dramatic stakes? Is just, it like,
2: just to be clear, the, the, the witch does, um, in spite of everything, uh, try to kill Vision.
0: Yeah, and Jesus. Peter does try to kill Gamora as yeah. well. Yeah. And then they discover that their decisions don't actually matter, which ties back into this theme we were talking about, about choice. Because they make the choice, and it doesn't matter because Thanos just overrides it. And it, it's really weird, because it feels like the film is pointing out its own inevitability. And like the, like the you get you get that in Thanos' opening monologue. That is the point, though. Yeah, where Thanos is like, dread it, run from it, destiny always arrives. And I wonder, is that what the film is? So is the film trying to say something about heroism and how you don't trade lives, or is it making a point that, like, it doesn't matter because what happens will happen anyway.
2: Metatextually, like, all of this movie has already happened and will always
1: happen because
2: money. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I think think it's probably a bit of both, in all honesty. I mean, I I think they they will have written it with the intention of some level of theme. And I suppose if you look at it from the sense of, you know, heroism and sacrifice, if this is the ending part of a, a grand tapestry... Then you know sacrifice is going to be part of the the, the game at the end I mean you know the the key the key to all this is is the one the one future that Dr Strange saw out of the fourteen billion whatever trillion whatever he suddenly calculated in his mind
0: six hundred and nine
1: and it was just it, it, how, what 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 are the odds what what's the and he he said you know one there's one scenario where we win so the, you know that whole this whole next film is going to be about that one scenario and and almost certainly. If I was a betting man, I would say that the, the, the whole scenario will, will hinge on either Tony or Captain America dying in order to, to restore or save the universe. You know, that that seems to almost be certainly where it's building. And if I was a betting man, I think they faked out Tony dying in this one. And I think it will be Cap who dies for good and it will stick. And And so, you know, I think I think they're, they're suggesting that. But, you know, let, let's let's not let's be honest. Let's be the cynics. This is about money. This is now about it. It is a, 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 a franchise, a, a massive money-making wheel for Disney. Um, but then I don't think I, I don't begrudge it that really because it's well put together. You know, it's 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 a well put together money-making machine that is consistently entertaining and charming and funny and it, it, the, you know a, a, a pure sort of blockbuster piece of escapism. As you can find, and 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 you know, the Infinity War really caps off Marvel, the MCU, moving from being a superhero franchise to a science science fiction franchise completely. You know, it's it's a it's the MCU has blended the two in a way that superhero movies have never done before. That's where it's all naturally built to. So, I, th- I think I, I, I don't think you can. I think you can look deeply and not find a lot in Infinity War. But equally, I think that's okay. It really is okay. Because I I was kind
0: of thinking of this, because, like, trying to make sense of what Thanos is and what Thanos represents, because, I mean, you have, like, all these, you know, all these movies are nominally about something, and all the villains in these movies typically represent something. So, for example, obviously, we talked about Black Panther, where Killmonger represents, like, the legacy of colonialism and sort of the the scars and wounds inflicted on the psyche by, like, the trauma of slavery. I'm really
2: looking forward to seeing... uh... Black Panther, from, from everything I've heard about it. Um, and, and I'm really looking forward to Killmonger.
0: It's very, very good. But, like, I'm wondering, like, what does does Thanos represent? And maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong here. Uh, but Thanos seems to me to represent nothing more than the idea of death and time in the context of the Marvel Cinematic universe. It's and we talked about how the film is about nothing except itself. Maybe you know, maybe we're being too cynical. Maybe we're being too harsh here. Uh, maybe we're even reading too much into it. But like Thanos, to me, and I'm watching the film, seems to represent like the inevitability of time and death as they occur in real life, as they occur involving actors as they occur involving the demands of making films because like you look at the source material that these are based on these are comic books and obviously marvel one of the things that marvel studio has done is that they've tried to incorporate as much of the comic books as possible into the films so for example you have stuff like legacy heroes in ant-man you have stuff like the Let's you and him fight introduced in civil war and stuff like that and you have even just nods to particular panels and compositions that are based around sort of like familiar and iconic aspects of the comics but one of the things that the films can't do that the films can't properly emulate from the source material, from the comic books, is the sense of timelessness. Because I think that Grant Morrison, who is a, a comic book writer, has argued that time in comic books only exists in the space between panels when you're reading them. It only exists as an external construct that you as a reader bring into the space. Those panels, you know, will obviously always be there, but those characters will always remain in place. Peter Parker will always be a character who is in his 20s, even though he has existed for 50 years now. Superman will probably never age beyond his 40s, despite the fact that he existed before the Second World War happened. These characters are frozen, like, in time, and they're always in a perpetual now. Like, Iron Man, for example, may have first been wounded in the war in in Vietnam, but now he can be wounded in one of the recent Afghanistan or Iraq wars the punisher you know would have served in vietnam when he was first created but now he's a veteran of the gulf war from 1990 from 1991 like you have a sense that there, these characters exist in this moment but this moment is always trapped and frozen whereas when you're making a movie as we talked about like these actors are going to retire like robert downey jr cannot physically do this forever and we are not quite yet at the stage where we can use like motion capture technology or the stuff that we use with carrie fisher in order to keep him doing it forever and part of me wonders if the marvel cinematic universe had been developed 10 years later would we be looking at that would we be looking at like robert downey Jr. playing iron man for 60 well, years i want to give
2: him a chance to go wild and get irresponsible and go back to prison a bit like he can't do any of those things while he has these iron man movies. contracts like,
0: like uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, those obligations that he has to fulfill But I I wonder if, like, that's the fear that Thanos represents. Because Thanos, obviously, you know, his name comes from Thanatos, the Freudian death urge. And the idea that, obviously, his motivation is to kill and disappear and to wipe out the future of the MCU. And this idea that he represents the inevitability of death. You know, the the whole, like, dread it, run from it, it will always arrive. And I wonder if that is an expression. Because it's not... If you look at the film... Thanos doesn't represent death to ordinary people. He doesn't represent death in the way that will affect, like, Stanley's bus driver or Ned. Ned, who is the only civilian who appears in the entire film, um, or the only named civilian character who appears in the entire film. Like, he doesn't affect those. He affects the superheroes. Even when people are disappearing, it's not like, again, as we mentioned, it's not like Peter Parker's friends at school. It's not like, you know, the veterans at the home, you know, populated by the people who fought the Second World War with Steve. It's all superheroes in costumes. And it's all actors who, you know, may or may not be under contractual obligation. And I wonder (laughs) if Thanos is, like, that expression given form. If, like, if Infinity War... Like, if the Marvel Cinematic Universe has reached a point as, like, a cultural entity that it is so large and so overwhelming and so... such a strong center of gravity that it can actually build a blockbuster that is about nothing more than itself and its own existence. And the fact that it is a thing and it is inevitable and it is happening. And, like, Thanos is a villain who does not represent anything that will ever affect you or me or Andrew... He's something that, like, concerns the people who are making these films, the, like, existential questions that they face when they sit down and they write a movie about Iron Man or Captain America, not knowing whether, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is going to sign that contract extension or whether Chris Evans wants to move on and do something else. Or even if, like, I don't know, Chris Hemsworth will one day be too old to pick up a hammer convincingly. I, I don't know. I wonder, like, that. that's what I got while watching Thanos. I, I wasn't so much invested in the whole Malthusian, like, save the planet, save the universe stuff. I was wondering if, like, this character is an embodiment of a fear that is so insanely specific to, like, comic book movies and these comic book movies in particular. Or am I reading too much into it? I'm probably reading too much.
1: You know, that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting read. It could well be. There, there, is, there is that sense of self-awareness with this franchise now. You know that's that's kind of been there, I think, in a lot of these films since since the beginning, in a way. But it's really grown over the last few years. In that it's it's a I think it's aware that it's doing something that no other piece of cinema has ever done. You know, and and you know it's, it's not it's not to say this is this is. You know, a incredible cinema. You know that he's going to tear over the rest of you know the the movies. But it has done something that no other film has ever quite done. You know, there have been movies that have had crossover of characters and, and all kinds of different things like that. But nothing on this scale. You know, this is this is groundbreaking in that sense. And and in that in that sense, it's kind of aware of the the how remarkable that this is. You know that that it's actually come off. That these these ten years hasn't collapsed in on itself, you know. And some of these films have been really bad. Things like Thor: The Dark World, you know. I would I would
0: counter and I would say that like you know, there's a there's maybe a ceiling on the quality of these films, but there's also a floor to a certain extent. I mean, even the Incredible Hulk, you know, which is a mess of a film, is still basically competent.
1: Yeah, yeah, but that they but they it, it's still remarkable that they've managed to plough through the lesser films. That you know, I mean, so, some of the some of the worst Marvel films. You know, are, are, are no wor- I know, are no worse, are no are worse or better than, than than some of these you know lambasted DC universe films over the last few years, but and and they're in real trouble. You know, they can't put this kind of thing together. You know, for various different reasons. But Marvel did; they ploughed on through it. You know, they remained consistent, and even when you might have got a lesser film, you know, you had a really good one, an entertaining one, right around the corner. But That so 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 to get to this point where you have this sheer volume of characters and storylines and you know this this conceptually enormous villain and and threat, then there there must be that that level of how how have we even done this you know and and that (laughs) that internal level when you're making it and through the storytelling that this is this is a, a, a pinch us because how, how have we how have we got here how have we actually managed to make this work and so it it, it could be that Thanos is a little bit of the writers saying how are we going to keep this going you know how we can't can we and I, and I think that's the that's the key for what, however it is whether it's characters just going off into the sunset you know I suspect Thor will be the kind of character who just sort of goes off into the sunset you know, I think there are certain characters that will die a noble death, and certain ones contractually will end, and they'll just go off. And then they, you know, they might reappear occasionally in certain other films. I mean, I I tend to think Tony will be like that. I don't think he'll die, but I think Robert Downey Jr. might pop back in once occasionally for a little cameo. But you know, so I think it will it will nap, and then you will have the rotating group of the whole new group start to move in. And I think that's how it's going to work. I think. I think this is going to be going for decades, but I, but I think it, it, as long as the quality consistency carries on, I think you will get this cycle continue. And I think that's how it'll work.
0: All right. So um, is there anything else we want to talk about with regards to the film? anything we haven't sort of covered already in terms of Infinity War? I know there's a lot of material here. We could almost split this podcast out into two parts. But is there anything that we haven't touched on that sort of jumped out to people?
2: I think we've mentioned the humor and I really appreciated that. The, the whole kind of irreverence uh, of it. Because I, I thought it was a lot funnier than Civil War and perhaps Age of Ultron as well. Well, definitely Civil War.
0: I mean, um, when you talk about the, the humor and the irreverence, like one of the things I really didn't like about it is the sense that some of the character voices were interchangeable so for example you have when see when dr strange is introduced you have tony stark making jokes about how he's effectively a stage magician and then you have the ebony maw who is an alien from another planet saying you must be popular at children's parties you have like the same joke coming from two different characters you have later on like the moment where chris pratt when they've got thanos he's like uh yeah, no, uh, so the plan worked. My plan. Just want to say that, and it's like you could imagine Robert Downey Jr. or Iron Man delivering that line in the exact same way. There was a lot of stuff in here that felt very generic, which is kind of strange because I, I, want when you want characters butting off one another, like you want all, them to be different. You want them to have like a contrast. All the
2: Avengers certainly are arrogant dickheads. That's like, a fair point. Uh, even like um, <laughs> well, that was the point Captain of Age in of <laughs> in in a certain way. His, his, like he's just very stubborn.
0: Yeah, and and even Civil War is basically like Civil War is a treatise on how the Avengers are dickheads who exist as a social class unto themselves. Yeah, I mean, but my, my,
2: you need them
0: <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> because occasionally you get invaded by giant purple because aliens. You've got assholes. And, yeah. And, <laughs> oh yeah, and sometimes dicks. Yeah, but anyway. Um, yeah. So what you're saying is they're dicks rather than assholes, Andrew. Yeah. Is yeah. what I'm getting from this particular conversation. Um, and they will occasionally save you from robotic menaces that they create. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole separate podcast. I have I have my pet theory is that, like, if the X-Men are a metaphor for, like, race as it exists in America, for, like, minorities and for the minority experience, then the Avengers are a metaphor on privilege and class, in that they are basically a bunch of superheroes who live in a skyscraper or a mansion who do whatever the hell they want because they want to, with no repercussions whatsoever. Like the whole yeah, point of that, civil war is that like Captain America should be allowed to do whatever the hell he wants, whenever the hell he wants to, with whoever he wants to do, no matter what kind of weapon of mass destruction that person is.
2: It's like yeah, rather than kind of saving the world, it could have been like, hey, let's go to Cabo or you know, like, <laughs> yeah. hey, who 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 wants to get a limo? Yeah, they're they're they they
1: they can kind of do whatever they like. Yeah. I think the only thing that I actually kept thinking all the way through was how much I enjoyed Doctor Strange in this. I, I, I wasn't I wasn't in love with the movie, the, the, the movie that introduced him. You know, I thought it had its problems, but he he, he seemed to really work well here. I, you know, he really stood out to me, and I, I think it's because of the sheer heightened sort of silliness of the whole thing, and you know, all these. I struggled a little bit in in his movie with all the hand waving, you know, magic. It was a little bit ridiculous, but I I bought it more here because I think it was the cosmic scale of it and and the sheer, you know, bonkersness of a lot of the, you know, the floating sort of henchman Thanos guy, you know, walking things like that. It kind of it kind of fitted, and I just think he worked really well uh, alongside Tony.
0: Can I can I throw something out here in terms of like? most underrecognized MVP in, like, the entire Infinity War film is Wong. Like, Wong, who's like, watch me take the hand off this gigantic monster using a magic portal. And you're like, well, okay, Tony clearly got stranded on the planet with the wrong magician. Because it's like, just decapitate Thanos. This would solve all of your problems. Open a portal around his neck and close it again, and you are perfectly fine. It's like, I, no. I, I we had-
2: I believe Thor can do that as well. Because he has done that. He, he,
0: he, well, he has the Bifrost.
2: Yeah, so he's done that in, was it the Dark World or or, or was it uh, Thor? Well, the
0: Dark World has its own like portals because reality is closing down. Yeah, itself but he, he,
2: he has that um, creature that he uh, uh, cuts the head off. He's oh, yeah, using that's, from, the that's from Ragnarok.
0: Yeah, that's using yeah. the Bifrost. Yeah, but you have to then hold Thanos' head one? into the Bifrost. I feel like that's that's more complicated than just doing like a little magic circle and then closing it. Oh, I feel like Ragnarok because
2: yeah. they end up like covered in goo.
0: Yeah, with Carl Urban. But I feel like I feel like Wong would have solved this crisis a lot quicker. I feel like Wong would have got stuff done.
1: Well, well he'd still be out there, you know. We didn't <laughs> see him disappear, so maybe he's going to save the day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah, really want the next film to be like a really agonizing standoff, and then a magic portal appears, decapitates the villain, and Wong is like, "Sorry, did you guys get my tuna melt yet?"
1: Do you know what? Was, with, with these movies, I mean. Uh, it, it, it's the sort of thing they would do. It, it, they are cheeky enough to to kill off Thanos or a major villain with that kind of sort of. Ha, 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 look what we just did.
0: Well, that or Kevin Bacon.
1: Yeah,
0: like half the universe is gone, and Kevin Bacon has to step up. That's the that's the moment of truth. He might be on the team. It's been a while since I've been to Earth.
2: It's true. Yeah, that is that is what I've heard um that it will be kevin
0: bacon well there's your there's your spoiler zone right there
2: yeah yeah i'm, I'm sorry for people who haven't seen the second movie
0: yet haven't which hasn't which is just you know just finished production they're doing yeah. post-production at the moment but andrew has seen nearly cut of it and the kevin bacon scene is is tremendous uh in fact that's what the secret title is it's six degrees of kevin bacon um and the six degrees are each of the avengers but anyway so i think that sort of wraps it up for us but tony just thank you for coming on to talk about this with us um and if people are looking for a bit more Tony Black in their lives, where can they find it?
1: If they're looking for a bit more Tony Black in their lives, they need to rethink their life plan. I will say.
0: But what is your next solo movie? Is what we're asking here. Like you know, and when is the sequel out?
1: Um, it's uh, yeah, I I, I can be found uh doing uh, my own podcast, the X Cast, uh, and all about the X Files at the X underscore Cast on Twitter so look that up um, and uh, if, if you want to find me and my uh, my blogging and talking about all kinds of things my, the book I'm writing, all this kind of stuff uh, you can find me at AJ Blackwriter on Twitter
0: Perfect. Um, And you also, yeah, you have reviewed this at Set the Tape as well, I believe, and we'll include that in the show notes.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, my website, Set the Tape. Yeah, I should mention that, really, shouldn't I? (laughs) It's one of my major things. You you, you kind of do
0: so much that it is hard to keep track of sometimes. I
1: forget my own things. Yeah, www.setthetape.com is the website I run with a friend of mine and uh, it's all about... uh, Pop culture and entertainment, so yeah, give it a look.
0: Perfect. And, uh, Andrew, where can we find you online?
1: Well, I have only
2: one thing, so I find it easy to remember. Um, A-Q-U-I-N-N-I-U-Q-A on Twitter.
0: And I'm going to do a bit of a shameless plug, because this is an episode that we're releasing quite soon after we're recording, being at this just in. So, listeners, if you are uh, listening to this podcast and you are interested in hearing Darren talk about popular culture... Um, My book is actually going on sale um, to mark Star Wars Day. So it will be on sale as you're listening to this right now. Just go to McFarlane's Press um, and you can actually just Google them. It's like McFarlaneBooks.com. And if you purchase any of their popular culture books on there using the coupon POPCULTURE25, Uh, you'll get a 25% discount uh, on those books. And included in those is opening The X-Files, which is my critical history of the original series of The X-Files. So if you have been thinking about that book, if you've been wanting to purchase it, whether physically or electronically, you can do that now using a 25% discount. I would wholeheartedly recommend it, and not just because I wrote it. There's also some really great stuff on there from other authors, and I suspect one of our podcast guests may or may not be joining that illustrious crew soon enough. Um, Maybe. Uh, In the the meantime, I suspect if you are listening to The 250, you're already aware that we're available on Stitcher, iTunes, um, and on SoundCloud. But if you're not, or if you're more interested in other service, you can find us online there. Uh, We'll be back next week when we'll be talking about Wes Anderson's Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, But until then, take it easy, guys. Bye.
2: Bye Bye-bye.
0: Bye.